Welcome to Control Intelligence, a control design podcast that goes deep inside the automation and technology that machine builders, system integrators, and end users rely on to keep production humming efficiently. Welcome to the latest episode of the Control Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Townsend. Today, I'm continuing our discussion with accounting from Clayton and McCurvey. We've been talking about what businesses can do now to be ready for fast acceleration post-pandemic. In our first podcast, Brian Perosic, who's Industrial Automation Manager, and Tim Finnerty, who's Industrial Automation Practice Leader and Shareholder at Clayton and McCurvey, discuss some important government programs that were available to help and other ways to look outside the business for a boost. In part two of our discussion today, our experts will help businesses look more at their internal processes, playing off of what we've all learned from the pandemic about cash flow, data analytics, and finding the best talent out there for your business. Hi, Tim and Brian. Welcome back to the Control Intelligence Podcast. Hi, Anna. Great to be here again. All right, so we've been talking about strategies for machine builders and system integrators to advance their businesses post-pandemic, and today we want to help businesses focus inward a little bit. A lot can be done with a business's current processes. What are some of the important areas where companies can refine internal processes to improve their overall operation? Well, by developing new processes, companies are able to create new capacity when the economy picks back up. What do I mean by that? Well, if I'm able to develop new products that the economy is going to want when it picks back up, that means I'm able to to get that to market a little bit quicker. There's something that tactically is needed that I can help produce. The company will be much better. The same thing within my financial management as well, is if I can create, and maybe it's using data analytics to help with it, but if I can create my financial modeling much, much quicker and easier by using data analytics, then that's going to make it easier for me to understand where I need to be as we move forward once this economy picks back up. So, you know, I think, again, when, when you're looking at it, it's those things that you can do both from a product development standpoint, a financial management and really utilizing potentially data analytics or automation or, or other new, new ways of getting things done so that when the economy does pick back up, we're able to do things much quicker and easier. Okay, so adopting best practices and achieving industry certifications can, can keep companies relevant when things are, are changing so rapidly. Can you talk about some of these best practices that can help support long-term performance, again, when, when things change so quickly? And I think we find that in, it's really when you get into these environments of a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change that having those best practices and those certifications to fall back on, you know, becomes critically important. You know, we do a lot of work with the Control System Integrators Association, uh, and they've, they've put a lot of time and thought into their best practices and their certification process w- with really the goal of helping the member companies come up with a process that's going to deliver consistent results time and time again. And where that really becomes critical now is, you know, you think about just in our own personal lives, the amount of conflicting information that we get day in, day out, right? 
one day masks are good, the next day masks are bad. You know, this medicine helps and then the next day it hurts, you know. So so business owners have a lot of a lot of noise that they've got to try and filter through. And and that's really where these best practices help them kind of not be too reactionary to what they hear, you know, depending on on what news source you were looking at throughout this uh, the pandemic, you know, you're you were either going to get out of the business or you were going to you were going to double down and, and buy up your competitors so that you could you could come out uh, stronger on the end. Uh, but this, you know, having some sort of best practices in place really provides that framework that you can make consistent decisions based around. You know, I, a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably familiar with the with the Deming cycle, but the plan, do, check, act. And that's really important to have something you can go back to. And when things are changing as rapidly as they are, you're never going to get it 100% of the right, 100% of the time. But you, you've got to have some process that you follow so you can make sure, you know, and in that, using that demo cycle again, see what the issue is in the market or within your business. You come up with a plan to address it. You check to see if that had the desired result. And if it didn't, you figure out what the next action is to to try and address it. So that really helps people kind of move through and address these issues as they come up in a in a structured manner, as opposed to just going based on gut feel and, you know, it's the shotgun approach of you know, throwing 100 ideas at the wall and seeing which one sticks. So this is certainly not just our industry, but many of us have had to adapt to working remotely almost overnight. What's necessary to help a mobile workforce remain successful in the long term, and how might that affect work arrangements down the road? So you're right, Anna. Everybody, I think, has had to do this working remotely. But I will say that when I think about the system integrator industry or machine builders, one of the biggest things that I continued to hear before this pandemic was finding and retaining, you know, good talent. And, and now, since we're working remotely, there's a much broader way of looking at trying to obtain talent, right? We can, we can get talent from anywhere now and probably be able to zoom in whenever necessary to be able to have that person help with a project. Maybe we need somebody in a different state that we didn't really want to start an office in, but we can have that one person that can be part of that team now that can really help grow the business as we're looking to expand as well. And I think the other thing that it can do is, you know, I'm starting to hear a little bit of it within our discussions over at CSIA, having more collaboration with other controls companies that be in a different location because you can't travel right now or you can't travel internationally. So you're utilizing some of your people that are in other areas, and it might make more sense than trying to, to set up an operation somewhere in, in Mexico or Canada or Europe. It's using those resources and working together to collaborate better. Okay, well, let's look at financial management a little bit. During a slowdown and as the economy begins to recover, what's important for a business to understand about their cash flow? What's included in a short and long-term cash flow plan? I mean, how do businesses use this to demonstrate when and how they'll be affected by recovery? 
Yeah, and I think we, we talked a little bit about this in the end of the last podcast, but to talk a little bit more about it, really, you know, everybody now realizes that cash is king. You know, I mean, I think everybody said it before, but as you're coming out of this pandemic or having the effects of getting recovery, you know, some people it's affected more than others. So it's really getting down, understanding what type of cash availability do you have, where is the cash, what is the cash going to be used for, and then putting a plan together to truly understand how it's going to be utilized, meaning that if if you are taking on newer projects or trying to get projects, what are my terms of the engagement? Currently, we're working with some clients that customers are now looking at trying to do fixed-based projects that could be a year long and not paying until the end of the project. So how do I manage that? Do I have enough availability on my working capital line of credit to be able to extend that? Do I, as a business owner, have enough retained earnings in the business that I can put money back in or I can invest more to do it? So it just is going to be dependent a lot on your situation that you have. And I think that's, again, as we talked about one of our clients, Alliance Automation, when we looked at converting them from a pass-through entity to a C-Corp, cash flow came into consideration. What was the reasonings why we did it that way? Because it was easier to manage taxes and some other types of things through that structure. Why are businesses that leverage data analytics better suited to make those well-informed decisions? And how should they use forward-thinking driver-based analysis to find insight? You know, it's interesting as we kind of look across our own industry, public accounting, as well as a lot of the industries we serve, you know, I think a lot of people look at data analytics as this panacea that's going to cure all the, the ills of the business and make everybody profitable. And the fact is that it's, Again, it's just another tool in management's toolkit to try and make better decisions. But I really feel it's one of those things that you're, you know, you're better off using than not. And the big driver behind that is if, if you look at any of the research into behavioral economics, what it really tells us is that humans, you know, because of our, you know, the way our minds work and the way we make decisions, we're just really poor intuitive decision makers, you know, whether you're talking about confirmation bias or observation bias or any of the, you know, the number of biases that have been identified in our decision making processes. The fact is, you know, we're often blinded to some extent by the risks or the potential upside of a decision. And that's where data analytics, you know, can kind of help. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to eliminate it altogether, but it's going to help kind of level that playing field and and force you to to kind of step back and look at these decisions you're making through a more uh, hopefully clearer eyes, you know, that you can look at how a certain product line is performing or how a certain, the impact a certain customer has had. We've all heard the story of, you know, the company's largest customer is also their slowest paying customer or the customer that always beats them down for discounts that if businesses could realize that they might not put as much value in going after that customer's business. So it really just helps clear some of that fog, eliminate some of that noise for business owners. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get the right answer 100% of the time, but being able to utilize that. And then when you talk about forward-looking drivers, you know, I think when you look at 
data analytics. There's kind of the historical data analytics, which, you know, we as accountants have really specialized in for, for a long time, you know, looking at what your quarterly results were, your annual results were, uh, telling you what happened after the fact. And everyone's really trying now to pivot towards what can I look at today that's going to give me an indication of what's going to happen tomorrow so that I can now adjust my strategy accordingly. And, and a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to find those things. It, again, kind of like Tim talked in the, the last podcast, you really need to understand your individual business, you know, what drives it, what, you know, what are the, the engines of growth and keep the business going. So then you can try and identify those inputs that will make that engine, you know, work better or potentially not work as well. Okay, American manufacturers are focusing on supply chain logistics now during the pandemic more than ever. Supplies have been challenged for many sectors. How can increased supply chain transparency and external data reduce risk for those companies? And why is a multi-tiered visibility so important? Yeah, I think the <laughs> I think the pandemic has brought the term supply chain into probably more households than than we're really consciously thinking about it before, right? Before everything closed down, you were used to, you know, going on your phone and ordering something from Amazon and, and 48 hours later, it showed up at your doorstep, not really realizing all the intermediate steps that have to take place to get that product from the manufacturer to a distribution center, to a local distribution center, and then to your, to your home. And then when you start talking about the manufacturing community, that just, that gets even more complex. I mean, Tim and I are, are based in Metro Detroit, so we deal a lot with the automotive industry. And you think about the, the, the numerous you know, number of suppliers that are tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers into one automobile. So you've got this multi-tiered aspect that you don't really, you know, without knowing what's going on at the very beginning of the supply chain, you can't really understand the overall impact to the upstream vendors and customers that then their product is going to go on to the next level and the next level. So blockchain, hopefully, you know, at some point will help with that. You know, it's a technology that's still, I think, trying to find its place in industries and, and how it's going to be utilized, et cetera. But I think the thing about blockchain is the potential that it represents, right? To be able to look to from the, the coffee that you buy at your local grocery store to be able to trace all the way back to the farm where that bean was grown, you know, all the way through the process. It's got a lot of potential. And I think what the pandemic has highlighted for people is just how critical that whole supply chain is to keeping you know, life as we know it, business as we know it operating. One other point on, you know, Brian was talking about the blockchain, but the, think about Amazon and you're talking about the deliveries and the timing. And it's just, you know, how quickly are we getting stuff right now? And I think it's taking longer than we expected. One of the big opportunities that I continue to see too is, you know, when you talk about automation and you talk about autonomous vehicles and, and different things like that, you know, they're talking about how autonomous trucking industry is going to be a huge opportunity. And so when you're also thinking as a controls guy or a machine builder, there could be huge opportunities in that industry that if you're thinking about it correctly, you could be putting yourself in a good spot now rather than in the future. 
For a manufacturer or a system integrator that is maybe not active in monitoring key performance indicator data or modeling, where should the company start? You know, I think the the short answer to, to that would be really anywhere. Like just just start looking at it. You know, don't try and find the the, the perfect solution that's going to help you grow your business. You start with one aspect of your business or one element. You know, and I, and I do think that pretty much every and we work with companies across the spectrum from you know five million dollar a year privately held businesses to two hundred fifty million dollar a year companies. And they all do something. And maybe as simple as looking at your cash balance, right? And saying, hey, as long as my cash balance and my bank account never dips below this magic number, I'm in good shape. That in itself is a key performance indicator. It's really understanding what you're looking at today and then trying to to find what are potentially the other things that are critical to running your business. And particularly, you know, for manufacturers, system integrators, there are enough Industry organizations out there, uh, you know, CSIA has some data that they track with their members on, on financial performance and for, for members who participate in the, in the survey, they, they have access to the results. But, but that's a good place to start is kind of comparing yourself to others in the industry. And, and that might help you identify some areas where maybe you're lagging or in the contrary, maybe it, it shows you what your real strength is that you're, you know, you're outperforming your competition in a certain area. And therefore, you know, that's your strength and something you should really try to capitalize on. So we talked before in a previous podcast about one of your, your clients, Alliance Automation, uh, the design and build automation systems. Can you tell us a little bit about how this company was already using measurement and cash flow scenario planning pre-pandemic and how that's helped the company during COVID-19? Cash especially in, uh, in times of crisis like this, you know, cash is the most critical asset that most companies can have. So they were fortunately in a position where they already had going into the pandemic, they had very good, very strong metrics that they were tracking. So what that's allowed them to do is from a project perspective, they're able to keep a good eye on when, when is a project doing well, when is a project potentially, you know, running over? So the the projects that are running over, they can start addressing them immediately, you know, the potential issues that they're seeing as opposed to waiting until the machine ships to the customer and they realize a huge loss on the project because it went over. So that's one way that they're able to use that. And so that's really helped them here during the pandemic, just kind of make sure that if people are adjusting to working from home and maybe they can't necessarily get the supplies they need from this vendor and they got to go to an alternate vendor that might charge slightly different pricing, they can track all that and make sure their jobs aren't getting too far out of control. And then from the cash flow perspective, that was really beneficial, you know, early on in the whole PPP loan process. You know, there was a lot of confusing information and, and just uncertainty when that program first came out and you know, I've got to attest that I need this and that my business has been impacted. Well, what does that mean? So they were able to really look at it and say, okay, here's based on everything we're seeing, here's what our cash forecast is with the loan. Here's what our cash forecast is without it. What is that impact going to be? And can we justify that, you know, we, we would qualify for this? And so that is also then kind of enabled them. And a lot of the, the clients we work with who work in, in the industrial automation space, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about coming out of this, that they're going to need 
more automation. And, and that's one way that we can kind of protect the economy from pandemics like this is that if you've got robots out there, they can't get the coronavirus, right? They can keep working and a plant can keep running with minimal human staff uh, operating there. Well, that means, you know, in 2021, maybe out into 2022, when a lot of companies are placing these orders, they're really going to have to have the cash available to, to finance those orders until the, until the customer pays for them and then have the staffing available to, to take on that business. Otherwise, they might have to turn it down, which now if you turn down business, a potential competitor comes in and it just opens the door there. So by having these tools in place, they've got a really good pulse for kind of where their business is, where their business is going, and what their needs might be if things grow dramatically or shrink dramatically. One additional point that Brian makes there that we kind of have been talking with some of our clients and alliances is one of those, and that is when we're looking at the cash and how strong it can be, the opportunity there for potentially hiring more people. A lot of people are thinking about laying people off, but here's an opportunity that you might be able to, you know, because talent shortage has been so bad, this may be an opportunity to really take advantage of the opportunity to, to find some really good talent. So sometimes you, you think that when, when we're in a downturn, you know, there's, there's a lot more opportunity sometimes than, than potentially when we're not. Okay, let's talk about another one of your clients, Air and Liquid Systems, ALSI, based in Michigan. How did this company use R&D credits to improve cash flow as well as reward their key employees for making sure fixed price projects are completed in a timely manner? So if we think about point of what a research and development credit is supposed to do, it's out there to help reduce your overall tax liability. And, and so this company is under $50 million in, in revenue, but it's a pass-through entity. And in 2016, the government made the R&D tax credit permanent. I guess it's really in the uh, 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Made it permanent as well as allowing companies under $50 million to reduce their tax liability from what would have been alternative minimum tax liability of 28% down to about 7.5% if you generate enough credits. So in this instance, the owner of the company seeing the ability to utilize these credits to help reduce his federal tax says, oh, I got more money in my pocket now. You know, here's an opportunity to keep my good people and potentially give them a little bit more in bonuses as long as certain projects hit milestones. But because of the research and development credit, he was able to start incentivizing his key employees a little bit more to make sure that they stay with him, but also give him a better understanding and really are looking at good opportunities to create new ways of doing things to make it easier, better, and more financially profitable. Thanks again for joining us today for another episode of the Control Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Townsend, and I've been talking with Brian Perosic and Tim Finnerty from Clayton and McCurvey. Today in part two of our three-part series, we hope you found some helpful tips about what you can do internally to help your business be less reactionary in an ever-changing environment. And don't miss the final podcast with Clayton and McCurvey, where we'll talk more about developing new products and services, even during the pandemic.